Hey, it's Natalie, and you're listening to Not Another Wellness Podcast. Last week, I uploaded Bridger's birth story, and a ton of you reached out to me, which was incredible, and it really validated some of the reasons I wanted to share his birth, and no one said it scared them so far, which is good, because I was a little worried about sharing a long traumatic birth with people, I didn't want that to come off as um, a warning that your birth is going to be anything like that. So today uh, we're going to continue on the same kind of topic. We're going to be talking about Bridger's first couple of days of life. And the reason I share this one is I want to talk about some of the things that happen postpartum that you can prepare for and understand through sharing Bridger's story and my story, and then diving into what the early weeks of postpartum looked like for me. Again, might not look like for you, but it might give you some food for thought to understand what you can expect in those first couple of days and weeks of having a new baby all of a sudden in your arms. So let's just jump right into it. All right, so I shared the birth. We're at the part where it's Sunday morning and early morning. I'm in the recovery room from the operating room. And if you didn't read, no, if you didn't listen to the birth story and you're like, wait, what? Hold on. Just go back and listen to the previous episode and you'll understand uh, what we're talking about. So as I shared in the end of that last episode, it was really tricky for me because I was really drugged. I was really out of it in those first couple of hours. And I have very fuzzy memories of laying in the operating room recovery section. I'm pretty sure the doctors came in and talked with me and said everything went well, but I honestly don't remember any of those conversations or anything like that. I know that Bridger was on my chest pretty much the entire time of recovery, and I don't have a recollection for how long that was, but I know we tried nursing. So when the baby is born and you are going to attempt to breastfeed, you have to establish that relationship pretty early on, like within the first hour of birth, I think is what's recommended. Babies have this crazy instinct that they just want to suck when they come out of the womb. That's pretty much the only thing they know how to do besides poop or cry. Um, So they're just looking for something to suck on for some kind of nourishment. Up until this point, they've been fed via the umbilical cord. So they were eating in the womb, but this is the first time they need to look for their own food. They're not attached to the mom anymore. So they're like, okay, you know, instincts kick in. I don't want to die. So I'm going to try and find food. So in that sense, it's like, oh, babies naturally suck and they're looking for food. And so as a new breastfeeding mom, you kind of assume, okay, they're going to find the boo. I'll help them find my nipple and they're going to start sucking and then milk's going to come out. Um, and that's not really what happens. So what actually happens is when you're pregnant, your body produces something called colostrum in the last couple of weeks of pregnancy, which is this gooey, yellowy gold. It's called liquid gold in the breastfeeding world um, that comes out of your breast. It's not technically breast milk, but it's the precursor to And that is what is available to baby for the first couple of days, hours or days after birth. It's ready, right? During pregnancy, you can even extract it from your breasts if you wanted to. So that is what you're looking for in those first couple of hours. Now, with vaginal births, apparently there's a little bit more of a natural understanding that your body just went through 
labor and delivery. And then there's this hormones that released once the baby comes out that um, creates this bond between mom and baby. And you want to kind of hold your baby close and it continues to release that hormone. So that nursing kind of happens in this blissful hormonal state. Um, I, I shouldn't ever say the word blissful because I don't really know if anyone has a blissful experience. I feel like people recall the experience and later say it was so like wonderful, but I, I just think it's always a little more complicated than people let on. So because I had a cesarean and because I had a lot of, let's be frank, drugs in my system, there's always a little bit more of a concern that the body won't start producing milk right away. So my postpartum team um, was on it. They were like making sure that my body knew to start producing milk and making sure Bridger was on there sucking to tell my body, oh, baby's here, time to start producing milk. Um, so I'm ahead of myself. So I'm in the recovery room and there's a few videos and pictures of me like talking and I'm just completely wiped. I mean, even if it wasn't for the drugs, I hadn't slept and you just go through a lot of like emotions and stress in this process. And on the other side of it, you're like holding this baby that they handed to you. And I think every mom has this like we try to envision what we think that baby's going to look like. We try to picture him or her. And they, when you actually hear your baby cry for the first time, or when you actually um, hold your baby and look at your baby for the first time, and especially in my case with Bridger, he was, like I said in the last episode, really swollen in the face. It's kind of surreal. I mean, it's like, You've, you've felt this baby in your body and you know this baby on a certain level, but you've never met before. And here you are with your baby and they just give him to you. It's like, it's just this really crazy feeling where you're staring at him like, oh, you're my baby. This is my baby. And I don't think that's always how it goes. I think that sometimes the hormones, like I mentioned before, that are released can create this like euphoria of like, oh my gosh, this is my baby. And you become so overcome with that, but not all the time. Okay, even if you did have a vaginal birth, you might not feel this overwhelming sense of bonding and joy when you look at your baby for the first time. I definitely didn't. And that's what I was prepared to feel. And when I didn't feel that way, I felt like something was wrong. And then I was also processing the birth. And then you're in recovery and they're still checking your blood pressure every 20 minutes and they're taking your temperature and they're now fretting about baby too. So it just felt overwhelming and not the peaceful, joyful experience that I know some women do have. And I don't want to take that away. There are a lot of biological processes that go into creating that these first couple moments with mom and babe to be like beautiful. And uh, it doesn't always happen that way. And it sucks. I think I really wanted that. I wanted to feel that strong connection um, that some people do have. So I, I then at some point get wheeled away from recovery room to the postpartum room. So in a hospital, there are labor and delivery rooms where you would go in when you're in labor or you're getting induced. That's where you meet with the labor and delivery nurses that help you and the obstetricians or the midwives, depending on what hospital you're in. And then when you're in the recovery of postpartum room, which you would stay in for an overnight up to a couple nights, depending on the situation of your birth, you would be in a room with the postpartum nurses. And it's like a whole different type of 
thing. It's like recovery. They're going to be checking your stomach and help making sure your uterus is contracting again. They're going to be checking that if you had a C-section, your um, incision looks good. They're going to be taking your IV out of your arm at some point. They're going to be removing the catheter if you had. So there's all these things that have to be undone from depending on what your birth looked like. So we're in that room um, just in such a fog. I don't really have a lot of memories from Sunday. I know that the pediatrician came in to visit us and that was such an experience because he kind of like picked the baby up, like unswallowed him, flopped him around, checked everything, listened to his heart, you know. And then at some point they did, the nurses came in to do like a heel prick and they check for jaundice. Um, jaundice is, it's visually like when a baby looks a little bit yellow and they're, um, hold on, let me Google it so I can actually give you guys a proper. So jaundice is when a baby is born and there's a yellowing of their skin and eyes. It's super common and they can check for it if um, with a blood test or blood from a prick in the in their baby's little foot to check for levels of something called bilirubin. And it is a yellow pigment produced during the normal breakdown of red blood cells. And so some babies that have this, just to give you like a heads up, the um it creates a higher risk for certain things that can be scary, but it is really common for a baby to be born that way, especially if they're premature. So they can do something, they can do treatment in the hospital to keep the baby's bilirubin levels down, like things like putting them under a certain type of light. So it's not something to fear. It's something that's actually very common and very treatable in a hospital setting or even if you birth at a birth center or at home they can actually send you I have a friend who had this happen to her a little like kind of like a NICU like bassinet that has these lights on it that's supposed to help bring the baby's levels of bilirubin down to a normal range anyway Bridger had a slight um, yellowing, yellow pigmentation but he didn't actually have jaundice so that that made things a little bit easier But the first couple of hours after birth, you're just sort of, for me anyway, I was just laying there kind of, well, luckily the drugs hadn't worn off. So I didn't feel a lot of pain at first, which really did help because I'm trying to learn how to nurse him. I'm trying to wrap my head around the birth that just happened. I'm trying to wrap my head around having this baby and navigating that with Adam and trying to get some rest, but the nurses are coming in every 10 minutes kind of thing. So it's just, there's a lot going on and it feels like, you know, you're on the other side of it, but it feels like you're just really getting started and that the whole labor process is one thing, but then what happens afterwards is like this huge learning curve, right? Like I didn't know how to swaddle a baby. I had to watch the nurses. Actually, for the first couple of days, I think Adam was swaddling. Because I was recovering from the C-section, I couldn't really get up out of bed or move very well, especially not when the drugs um, that they'd given me in my epidural had wore off. So later in that day on Sunday, that's when things really started to feel like, oh yeah, I just underwent a major surgery (laughs) and that's going to be a whole recovery process in itself. Um, you're, yeah, so I didn't even get to swaddle Bridger, but Adam learned from the nurses and, um, you know, changing a diaper on a newborn for the first time on your own baby for the first time. It was Adam's first time with that. So for any of the new parents or new dads out there, you don't have to know this ahead of time. They can 
they can show you all the things in the hospital. Um, so there's just a lot of new things happening. I'm eating meals again that feels really good. And um, you are, even if you had a C-section or a vaginal birth, your body has 10 months worth of like, I don't know what else to call it. I'll call it blood. Blood and mucus built up from growing that baby that it has to shed um, in the next six weeks. And it's a really uh, long time. And you're wearing big pads, like overnight pads to catch this blood. Some women will wear adult diapers. They have this great mesh underwear. You don't want anything tight on your body after what it's just gone through, no matter how your birth happened and they have these supplies for you in the postpartum room and there's nurses there to like replenish them. They have these little bottles with um kind of like little beaks on them, like spray bottles that you can clean the area if you had a excuse me, vaginal birth or not. Um this is kind of interesting because I've never had a catheter before, but once they remove your catheter um, which is a tube that is inserted into your urethra, urethra to help you pee while you have a epidural in because you're laying on your back and you can't move. So they have to take that out and then you have to kind of retrain those muscles to pee again, which is so strange, but spraying water and that area can help like relax the muscles so they so that you can pee. It's so strange. Like I you feel like you're reborn again and you have to learn all these new old bodily functions and you're just exhausted. Um my stomach, because I had the surgery, was filled with gas from I guess being out in the open air. I'm not exactly sure why that happens when you have surgery. So I looked nine months pregnant and I'm holding the baby and I'm feeling him move in my arms and I'm realizing that I'm, I kept thinking that I was feeling him in my belly too, almost like these phantom movements. And I kept saying that to Adam, like, oh my gosh, I felt these little kicks in my belly and I'm feeling the same kicks on the outside, you know, like I'm holding this baby and he's like squirming in my arms and it was that part was really amazing to realize that he had been living in inside of me, and here he was in the outside. And then my body hadn't really caught up to the fact that he had left the body. He'd been evicted, and I was feeling these like phantom kicks in my belly for the first couple of days, like like as if he were still in there. Um, and that first night, yeah, again, just kind of a blur. I know Bridger slept for a few hours that day and we tried to sleep, but we had like papers to sign and birth certificates to fill out. And, um, we we're reading the pamphlets they'd given us for like how to handle having a newborn. And then the lactation consultants have come in several times. So we're trying to get Bridger to latch, but his lip is still a little bit swollen. So we're not getting a good latch. So they're coming up with the bringing the breast pump in. I start pumping the first day, um, which was interesting. <laughs> and I am getting that colostrum that my body produced during pregnancy. So we're then pumping the colostrum out either with my hand or with the breast pump and then putting it into these little baby infant syringes and then feeding him this liquid gold. And I just remember feeling so proud of my body for creating this sustenance for him 
and knowing that that's all he needed. And what's interesting about newborns is they don't need a lot of food the first 24 hours. They've they've just gone through something pretty intense themselves and they had been eating through your umbilical cord up until it was cut. So they only need a few drops. Like their stomach, their stomach is the size of a pea, like a green pea, and they don't need a lot. So there's there's not a ton of pressure to feed them volume at first, but what they're trying to do, the lactation consultants, the nurses, they're trying to make sure that your body is getting the, the signals that it's time to have your milk come in. And so the milk comes in within a couple of days, up to like five or six days after birth. And you know when it comes in because your boobs fill up with milk. All of a sudden they're hard and hot and they're like, okay, baby's here. We got the memo. Here's here's the breast milk. <laughs> and that colostrum goes away and it becomes this yellowy white uh, milk. And I just want to say that I think breastfeeding is really hard for most women. And it has nothing to do with it's a biological process, but you, the baby and the mom are learning a new skill. And so it takes some time to coordinate everything. You have to have the pillows to prop up this newborn that can't support himself yet. You need to be sitting in a chair. You need to, um, it kind of hurts. I'm not even, it doesn't even kind of hurt. It just hurts to have a pump and a baby sucking on your nipples that you've probably never had that much suction on before for hours of the day, trying to get the milk to come in, trying to get the colostrum out. You're manually expressing, so you're like squeezing your boobs, and then you're pumping them, and then your baby's sucking on it, and the baby doesn't know how to suck right, so you have to, it hurts, because the baby's like squeezing, and you have to relax their mouth, and get them to open wide, and it's all of these things, and there's nothing that really can prepare you, because you just don't know how your baby's going to do off the bat. Some babies latch on right away and get a great suction and get a, and pull milk easily and there's no problems. In Bridger's case, he did not have a good latch and um, it was really painful so that they're giving me these like ice packs for my nipples basically. Um, another thing that can happen is babies can be born with tongue ties, uh, which means the little string, if you were to put your tongue on the roof of your mouth and look underneath your tongue, there's like a ligament, not a ligament, it's like a piece of skin that connects your tongue to the bot from the bottom to your tongue, like the bottom of your mouth. Some babies are born with their tongue is like stuck all the way, like it doesn't lift at all or lift enough. So that can cause complications in those early days. So they'll send in people. We had people come in to assess Bridger because of the way he was born and the position he was born in. His neck, he couldn't turn his neck to one side for the first like four days or so. So they brought in these like physical therapist type people that were working on feeling Bridger's neck, making sure he could move it from both sides. And then we were working on nursing on the side that he was proficient at turning and then the side he wasn't. So, God, I'm like jumping all over the place because this is what it felt like. It felt like 
Every 10 minutes, somebody was coming in to assess Bridger, check on his neck, check on his temperature, check his heart rate, check his bilirubin, check his hearing, check his you name it. And then they're coming in to check on me to give me pain medication. The minute that the epidural fully wore off and everything, I was pretty miserable. I mean, I don't know. I don't think I have the strongest pain tolerance, but post-surgery pain is like really intense in my opinion. So they were bringing Advil and Tylenol and in intervals and just kind of keeping those in me. And, um, I was really uncomfortable. So they were also bringing a little five milligram, like oxycodone to help me be able to get out of bed and go to the bathroom and walk around a little bit. That was something they were stressing to me because of the C-section. Um, you can get blood clots if you're not up and moving, especially with everything that was going on, um, after the surgery. So they have these compression sleeves that you wear over your legs, but then they encourage you to get up, walk to the bathroom, uh, make sure you can pee. I guess having a catheter can cause some complications. So the first day was just like, you can tell I'm recalling it, just, just remembering like, oh my God, it was just chaos. And the hard, hard thing for us was every nurse we had was telling us a different version of the story. Um, and every lactation consultant was different. And the people from the PT team for Bridger's Neck were different and our pediatrician. There's just a lot of opinions. And we were needing a lot of help because we were needing lactation support and PT support and C-section recovery and just a lot of medical assistance. And then, let's see, the Monday, I know the pediatrician came back and they checked his bilirubin. They did a bigger hearing screening, which he first failed. And then he passed the second time. So it's just this like craziness, you guys. It's crazy, but they're so great in there. Like from my, from my experience anyway, the postpartum nurses were just fantastic and kind, and gentle, and very empathetic with what you've been through, very supportive of the hospital I was in anyway, of your breastfeeding efforts, and they're eager to help give you tips and tricks or ideas that worked for them or other patients, but it's just a lot of attention and interruption. I mean, I was laying in a hospital bed, you know, trying to get some rest, and it felt like I couldn't close my eyes because every couple minutes, someone was knocking on the door, coming in to check on someone or something. And then the first night, yeah, they're giving me pain meds every couple of hours and baby's not sleeping so well. The only place he would sleep, it was on our chest, the poor baby. When I think about it, I'm like, oh, he wouldn't sleep in his little bassinet. So Adam and I would take turns holding him and he would just be passed out with the warmth of our bodies. I mean, think about it, right? They're in a warm belly their whole lives. They are born into this cold, bright, sterile environment. They're getting poked and prodded and it's bright. They've never seen the daylight before. And so we have these bright lights and the, it's overwhelming for a baby to be entered, to enter into the world that way. And they need calm, dark, soothing, 
we brought our sound machine. Um, well, we actually had to run out and get Adam had to leave and come back and get the proper sound machine so that we could um, have some in the background for Bridger. The sound machine works because there's a lot of internal sounds when you're in someone's belly. There's like the blood rushing through veins, your organs digesting food, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so they actually like when it's noisy. The quiet does not, it's, it's a little startling for them. So especially in those early weeks, the third trimester, um, the first 40 weeks, you basically just want to keep replicating the womb. So you'll, you might choose to swaddle your baby, keep them cozied up as if they were still in the body, in the womb, keep them warm, newborns will you'll see newborns with little hats on their heads they don't have the ability just to regulate their body temperature well at this point because they haven't had to yet so you do what you can to keep them happy and um they also don't know how to sleep yet (laughs) and they don't know how to eat yet they're just learning all of these things as as they go and it's um truly remarkable the instincts that babies have, um, their instinct to, to want to be close to the parents who are going to keep them alive, their instinct to want to sleep on a warm body. It's not easy though. It's really tender in those first couple of days. From a hormone perspective, what's going on in the mom's body is she is going and transitioning from pregnancy to labor to then this postpartum period. In a way, her body is going back to normal, but it takes a while to get there. She has to first shed, like I said, that six weeks plus worth of blood and mucus that was there supporting the baby in the placenta. So that has to shed. The uterus goes from holding a watermelon size uh, baby to back to normal, which can take at least six weeks of a process for it to go back. And there's this pressure of like, oh, my body should just bounce right back. But it's a process of un of going from pregnant to not. It doesn't just flip a switch. You don't just shrink back down to pre-pregnancy size. Like this was a home, an apartment for a child and it needs to be cleaned out. It needs to be, uh, the furniture needs to be taken out and then it needs to be closed and shut down. And the body does that all on its own, the way it did all on its own to raise and grow and support that baby. And it's fucking cool when you think about that. So the hormones that sh- that shift through all those changes can cause something called they call baby blues which is intense emotions of joy or sadness when you're holding your baby or thinking about your baby or thinking about what you just went through and i remember those first that first night and the second night with adam just crying and sobbing and not because I was sad, but just because I was feeling so much and my body was purging all of this stuff from my womb and the hormones were regulating back again and I had just gone through trauma and I was tired, right? So I was just crying and it felt like it felt like part of the process, part of the transition for me going from 
you know, just a girl, just a woman to a mom, to a breastfeeding, C-section recovering new mom of the screaming little child that doesn't have a clue what's going on in the world and has every amount of dependence on its parents, on its caregivers. It feels like this beautiful and incredible and scary thing. I remember having the thought like, oh no, like our lives are never going to go back and this is going to be so full on. And I was, I was right. I, you, you don't go back to before. Your life doesn't go back. Like There's nothing that's the same when you go through this process, however you go through it. And nothing will be the same with that partner that just went through it with you. That's a piece I think that we leave out a lot. I mean, I was laboring for three days and Adam was there for every contraction unless he was peeing. He was next to me that entire time, not going through it himself, but having the compassion and the empathy for me and knowing that he needed to just support me to the best of his ability for that entire time. And I truly can't imagine being on that side of it because at least for me, I was feeling everything and I was in my, it was in my body that this was happening. I wasn't having to be the strong support person in the operating room, holding your, your loved one as they get cut open in front of you, basically. Like it's, it's crazy when you think about how important that support person is. And that's why we're going to do a separate episode on the support person. Um, but I hope this kind of gives you a window into what you can expect. Um, hopefully your experience isn't this chaotic, but if it is, know that again, it's normal for all these things to be happening. It's normal for it to feel really overwhelming. If you had a C-section, it's normal to be in a lot of pain and feel this sadness um, that you can't really pick up your baby because you just had this crazy operation. Um, it's a lot. And I, it really helps you feel closer to other women when you go through something like this, knowing that your mother, your mother-in-law, your grandmothers, and all the women that came before her had an experience of labor, right? If they had a baby that you are related to, that baby went through labor and delivery in some way, shape, or form. And you know that mama went through some version of this. And all of a sudden you just feel this sense of connectedness to other women in the history of the world and wonder what their experience was like and wonder, you know, it just makes you feel closer, I think, to women. And like you're on the other side of a club once you go through something like this. Um, and and it, you did. And you are. We, as birthing people, have to look out for each other and know and hold space for each other and know and love and support one another through what is a really remarkably difficult time no matter how you slice it. It's just, the transition is just monumental. And it's like, it doesn't matter what baby shower gifts you have waiting for you at home. Nothing, no gift can prepare you for the feelings, the emotions, the physical sensations of going through this process and coming out on the other side. So thank you for listening to this episode to be continued. There's so much more to talk about. So let's, uh, I'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.
Thank <laughs> you.